We are in um, the nearing the very end of this series, and we've hopefully been marching, if to use that Jericho term that we did from week one, around all these walls, just like, again, reminding ourselves where we've been, the, the Israelites marching around that city of Jericho, right? And they, they march around that city once a day, right? For six days, and on the seventh day, they march around it seven times with seven priests, with seven trumpets, and they lifted a week. They lifted a... There we go. They lifted a shout, and God took those walls down, right? And so for the last few weeks, we've been marching, hopefully, around these walls in our lives. Walls like, not Jericho, but pride. Walls of anger, walls of control, of sadness, and of last week's selfishness. Today, we're almost done with this series. We've got one more after this week, and we're going to talk about insecurity on this seven-day shout series. Insecurity. You know when insecure in here? A couple of people will actually admit it, right? <laughs> All right, what, real quick, what lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? What lies at the bottom of the ocean and twitches? Anyone? A nervous wreck, that's right. So maybe some of you are a, a nervous wreck. Maybe you're anxious, maybe you got some insecurity this morning. Feel free to use that joke later, that's free. If you got your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and dive in. Maybe off the deep end right now. Go ahead and pull those out. If you don't have a Bible, there's one over on the left underneath the prayer board. If you don't have a Bible at all, um, take one of those home with you. Write your name in it in Sharpie. That's yours. So we're going to start in Philippians. Book of Philippians. Late in the New Testament there. Book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 4. That's where we're going to start off this morning. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, verse 4. Again, I will say, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Here's verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And we talked about a little bit of that on our um, Sunday of Sadness, if you remember that. I want to read that again from verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And many of us, many of you, and sometimes mostly me as well, we get in this place where we are anxious, where we're insecure, right? And you know the reasons for that is? It's because we haven't been thankfully asking God through prayer to calm our anxieties, to, to bring peace that passes all understanding into our insecurities, into the places that we don't know what's going to happen. Looking into the future and this worries us or this troubles us where there's a situation coming up or school's about to start again and you're like, oh, I'm now in a different grade and suddenly I have to be a, a ninth grader because that's when high school starts or whatever. And, and, and you're just insecure about what's coming up next. If you're insecure this morning, if the reason you're insecure is simply because we haven't been thankfully asking God through prayer. Evangelist George Mueller said this, The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith, and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. They did a few social studies a few years ago, and they discovered this about an average person's anxiety is focused on. And they had this long list of things that people could put down, and they actually broke it down into these five different sections. An average person's anxiety is focused on 40% things that will never happen. 
is what they're anxious about. Things that will never happen. 40% of what they're anxious about. 30% of what most people are anxious about, about things about the past that they can't even change. They're anxious about that. They're insecure about that. They're worried about things that are already done, already gone, already in the past, that cannot even be changed. And they're wasting brain space and heart space on those things. 12% are things about criticism by others. They're worried or anxious or insecure about that, even though those things are probably mostly untrue. They're worried what other people are going to think. 10% are worried about their health, which is ironic because the more they worry, the worse their health gets. They've done studies for that as well. Finally, 8% are actually worried or insecure about real problems that will be faced. 8% about actually real things. There's a lot of worry, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of insecurity which is our Sunday for today, about a lot of things that are never going to happen, that can't be changed, and that you can't control. From a previous week we talked about. So what is insecurity? Here it is. Insecurity is actually this. Insecurity is the result of relying on anything else but God. I'll let that sink in for a minute. I'm going to say it again. Insecurity is the result of relying on anything else but God. You're going to have insecurity about your wealth and your possessions. Is it enough? Am I secure? Is that 401k or that you know, disability insurance or whatever it is that you've been putting in this, but duck, this is going to come talk about my Aflac problems. Is that real? Is that, am I secure enough? Aflac. Is that, am I secure enough as if something's going to happen, it's actually going to be okay? Wealth and possessions, we get real insecure about those things. Do I have that nest egg? Do I have whatever that is that I need to put away? Can I even be able to afford to retire? Can I put my kids through college? If most of us are honest, we've got some big-time insecurities in these areas, right? A lot of us are insecure about the future. Again, the things that may not even happen. You may even know Jesus Christ. And you, for some reason, still fall back into this doubting trap called insecurity that the enemy throws our way, right? You may not know Jesus Christ, and you, you're insecure about your eternity. You may be insecure about things and the people of the world, saying, what are they going to think of me? I'm insecure in the, in, in the way that, that they may think, or, or their opinion of me, will I be cool in school or not? Will I be the cool guy at the water cooler or not? Will I be able to play golf well enough to be, you know, in the four group that I'm in? And, and, and I don't know what golf people do, but they hit a stick and, and a small ball. Hold on, who did the golf anyway? Like, let's get this ball this big, 300 yards away, over trees and hills to a hole you can't see. All right, this just makes no sense. But maybe you're on your golf team and maybe you're, maybe you're insecure in your golf score, all right? Something simple like that. But the, the bigger implication of that is what is people going to think of me? Maybe you're insecure in the current state of politics. Maybe, maybe you're insecure with who's in the White House or who was in the White House. Maybe you're insecure in, in governments and politics. Read Daniel chapter 2.21 for later. Write that down. See, government policy cannot save us. Only God can do that. 
Maybe you're insecure in the whole wrong areas of things. Daniel says that, you know, that God sets kings and tears down kings and sets up kingdoms and tears down kingdoms. So yeah, we can vote and we can use our conscience and all that kind of stuff. But there's no reason for insecurities in our government because our government can't save us, right? God can. But it still sneaks in there. Maybe you're insecure about other leaders in your life. Maybe you've got a boss at work or a manager or some, something's going on in, in your school or it's just a teacher that you're just trying to live up to. Or maybe it's your mom or your dad that you're trying to live up to. And you're insecure in the, in the way that you think they may think about you or feel about you. Maybe you're insecure in just yourself. You look in the mirror and you're like, uh-uh. Maybe you're just taking down all the mirrors in your house so you don't have to even look at yourself. Maybe you're that insecure. Maybe you're remembering how you used to be, what you used to do, who you used to act like, what you used to look like. And now you're 40 years older and your bodies don't move the same way. But your brain's still good. And you're insecure in the way you look. You're insecure in yourself. If you've got your Bibles out still, turn over to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 25 is where we're going to start. These are the words of Jesus. Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This sounds familiar, right? About what you will eat, about what you will drink, nor about your body. Don't be insecure about your body or anxious about that. Or what you're going to wear, what you're going to put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet... Your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not of more value than they? And which of you can, by being anxious, add a single hour to his span of life? Nobody, right? That's the answer. And why are you anxious about clothing? Listen up, ladies, I'm just kidding. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He repeats himself again. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, Guys, what shall we eat? I'm hungry, right? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek what? First, second, third, last, fifth, what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All your worries... You're not going to worry about when you seek the kingdom of God first. Verse 34, therefore, again, the third time in this trinity in this passage, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. In other words, tomorrow is going to have enough trouble of its own, right? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So we're going to look at a few things before we dive into our main scripture this morning. No, we're not at it yet. Hooray, more Bible, right? We often confuse uncertainty with insecurity. Again, I'll let that sink in for a second. We often confuse uncertainty with insecurity. We often never know what's going to happen in the future. Do you know? Because I don't. Maybe you're that person. Doubtful. 
We don't know what's going to happen in the future, but how we react to this uncertainty, because our future is uncertain, right? Not our eternity, just the things that are going to happen on this world, right? I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We've got a baby coming up. I don't know when it's going to pop out and be due. And again, from a few weeks ago, yeah, I guess that's the sound it makes, right? <laughs> there is the sound. Baby, right? See, Ben knows. Ben's got three kids. Baby. So I don't know when the baby's coming up. That's uncertain to me. I don't know if I'm going to be a good dad or a bad dad. That's uncertain to me. I don't know if we're going to be able to provide a future for this kid. I don't know. All this is uncertain. I don't know if I'm going to be alive to see my kid grow up. All that's uncertain. We all live with uncertainty. But don't confuse uncertainty with insecurity. See, most of us lump those together. It's uncertain, therefore I am insecure. I don't know what's going to happen, therefore I am insecure. How we react to that uncertainty determines whether or not we're secure or insecure. Instead, we should be asking, you know, are are you anxious or do you pray? Are you troubled or are you thankful? Do you worry or do you worship? One of my favorite verses growing up was 1 Peter 5, 7, which says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. All your worries, all your anxieties, like we sang about in that song earlier called Satisfy. Come lay down your burdens, right? Just lay them all at his feet. All your worries, all your troubles, all your insecurities, all your anxieties. Take a deep breath. Let them out. We're going to look at our main passage today. Book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Just a couple pages over. Luke chapter 8 is where we're going to be. And there's two stories in one, so you get a bonus. It's like a freebie. We have two stories in one today, and they're both important for what we're talking about. So this story right here, we're going to read in Matthew 8, 40. It's also found in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 5, if you want to go home and and read further. I'm going to read this, and we'll talk about it. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, famous, pretty well-to-do guy, right? And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. They're crowding around him, right? And, And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and She touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. And I was like, Jesus, everyone is way in your personal space. Everyone is super in your bubble, all right? It's like one of those elevators. You're like, there's no room, and like eight more people have crowded onto your elevator than should have, and you're staring up at that weight limit. I'm like, I hope this holds, right? And it goes slowly up, and you feel it, right? Way too many people in there. Like, everyone's pressing in on you, Jesus. What do you mean someone touched you? That's ridiculous. Everybody touched you, Jesus. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden... She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, 
publicly letting out her insecurities and how she had immediately been healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, Jairus' daughter again, came and said, Your daughter is dead. You know what? Don't even trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And I was reading this again last night. For some reason, it just kind of struck me in a weird spot about this passage about this woman. This woman was, was hemorrhaging or, or having female-related issues for, you remember how long? Twelve years. How, how old was Jairus' daughter? Okay, just fun coincidence there, right? Twelve years this lady had had these problems. Twelve years she had been bleeding. Twelve years she had seen every doctor and gone broke, getting no cure. This woman would have been what they call ceremonially unclean. That's in Leviticus chapter 15 where they set out the rules for what's clean and and unclean. And this woman, being unclean, would have had to walk around saying, I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Again and again and again so that everyone, every, any space you went into, instead of forget checking in on Facebook, oh, here, check. Oh, here's a picture of my food. Oh, oh, here I am, Instagram, boom, check in. No, this lady had to check in and be like, I'm unclean. Like that's an announcement you really want to make, right? Everybody, I'm unclean. Don't touch me and I can't touch you because if I touch you and I'm unclean, I make you unclean, right? Because I've got this bleeding problem. And is it there's a disease or there's something going on or some problem thing and I can't pass that thing to you so I'm unclean and I'm going to check in here unclean. Hello? She would have been anemic. Imagine that. Think about that. From all that blood loss for 12 years, she'd probably been very weak. Probably been pretty much breathless in this crowd just trying to get to Jesus. She would have been poor. Because why? She spent all of her wealth trying to get a cure from all these doctors. And Mark 5 actually says that the doctors didn't make her better. They actually made her worse with what they treated her. So she hasn't gotten better. She's gotten worse. Over 12 years, she's bleeding. She has to walk around everywhere saying, I'm unclean, right? Poor, broke, single. We know that. Why? Because it's her money, it's her wealth. She's got a problem. She's ceremonially unclean, right? We don't know how old she is, but she spent all of her wealth. Otherwise, it probably would have been phrased she spent her husband's wealth trying to get her a cure. But there's no husband to speak of. So she's single. She probably had money left over from dad or maybe a previous husband that's no longer in the picture. Maybe he couldn't put up with her. Maybe he couldn't really deal to be like, this is my wife. And he's insecure in the fact that we walk in everywhere and I'm okay. And she's like, I'm unclean because she's got this problem. And he's no longer in the picture one way or the other. She doesn't even have a name in this passage. 
this nameless woman to us. We just know her identity as unclean, as sick, as bleeding. Mark 5 also tells us this, that this woman sought out Jesus. She got up from the place wherever she was staying because Jesus was, you know, cycling through all these towns and stuff and, oh, here comes Jesus again. You know what? I'm weak. I'm tired. I'm anemic. I'm unclean. I'm single. I'm not married. I got all these problems. I have all these insecurities. I'm going to go try to hide in this crowd, keep my insecurities to myself. And she's thinking to herself, maybe if I just touch Jesus, maybe if I just reach out and touch his robe, I'll be healed. So this poor, single, bleeding, unclean woman breaks the rules for a change and goes into this thing called a crowd. In the midst of all these people, she's just thinking to herself, and again, when I read this last night, again, I was just, for some reason, I'm just in tears about this woman. Never been in tears about this passage before. Other things, sure. But this one, I'm just tears. Imagining this woman who's got all these insecurities, thinking maybe, maybe if I could just touch Jesus, I'll be healed. Maybe if I could just reach him, maybe, maybe if it's not even just him, maybe if I just touch his clothes, if I get close enough to, to touch his robe, Maybe I can be healed. So I'm not going to worry about my insecurities anymore. I'm not going to worry about that I'm single. I'm not going to worry about that I'm bleeding for 12 years and every doctor has made me worry and and, and made me worse. I'm not going to worry that I'm broke. I'm not going to worry that I may be ugly or recognizable by my appearance of bleeding everywhere. I'm not going to worry that I should be shouting unclean. I'm not going to worry about a thousand different things, right? Because she wasn't rich like Jairus was. She didn't have clout or ability. She wasn't a male. That was a big thing in those times. She wasn't clean. She was unclean, right? She wasn't married. She was single. She wasn't well. She was sick. She was barely physically able. She wasn't connected to know anybody. She was not important. And this lady comes to Jesus through the crowd and says, if I could just touch his robe, all my insecurities can go away. And Jesus changes all of those things for her. And it sounds silly to us when we read it, like, well, who touched me, right? There's a crowd. Jesus, what do you mean, who touched you? We would probably say the same thing, like Peter, right? Jesus, there's like a thousand people. What do you mean, who touched you? He's like, no, 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 something's different. I'm the Son of God, and I felt someone get healed. Someone's identity has been changed. Who is it? And this lady, still trembling, still shaking, still probably afraid to admit that she was unclean and she's standing there, comes forward. And Jesus doesn't rebuke her, right? He doesn't scold her. Why did you touch me? Why did you pull on my robe? Why did you do this? Why did you? He could have said a thousand things. None of those things. Because they made a connection. And Jesus changed her identity in this passage. Because again, to us and to them at the time, her identity was what? Unclean. Anemic, weak, sick, poor, bleeding, gross, ew, like Jimmy Fallon on the night. Ew, you know, like one of it's probably get away from me, right? But Jesus changed her identity to clean, healed, and free in a moment. 
And this leads us to the other side of the wall this morning. Every week we're talking about our perspective of the wall. Our perspective of this wall is insecurity, right? We look at this wall standing straight up in our, in our lives. And we're like, I am so insecure about all these things. And each one of these things we lifted this mor- listed this morning about insecurities about yourself or insecurities about the way you look or insecurities about your finances or insecurities about your retirement. All these insecurities just stack up and they build a wall in our lives that separate us from God. There's another perspective of that wall. It's God's perspective, Remember? A few weeks ago, again, we, we just got this tall board, and I can bang up against that board all day, and that's not going to tip over. But on the other side of the wall, on God's perspective, push. And that's it, and these walls come down in our lives. The other side of this wall today, it's not security. Again, that would be like last week and the week before, where we just jumped to a conclusion. Oh, insecurity, security, yeah. Selfishness, unselfishness, nope. The other side of this wall is a small word called Trust. Trust. See, Jesus can change our identities as well this morning, yours and mine, from being scared, from being anxious, from being worried, from being troubled, from being fearful, from, from being hesitant, from being insecure. Because when we trust in Him, all of those things fade away, just like those woman's problems. All of them healed in one moment. The woman trusted that if she just touched Jesus, if she just reached out and just touched His robe, she trusted that she would be healed. And Jairus trusted that even though his daughter was dying and then was found out to be dead, he trusted that Jesus could do a miracle. Next Sunday actually marks one year to the day from my father passing away. It was a Sunday morning, it was a church. I was here, I got the call, and I left. Some of you probably remember that day. And I was thinking about this and just the, you know, just as you do when events like this kind of cycle back around a year or Moments of time, you think about that. I was thinking a lot about my dad, and you know, my dad really didn't care what anybody else thought. And I look back, and I'm like, how would I describe my dad? He really didn't care about what anybody else thought. He was that goofy guy that never got a vase for his flowers to bring to my mom and brought him in a Home Depot bucket into Perkins. And you, we have these moments where, like, Dad, Dad, no, what are you doing? And like, I'm so embarrassed to be here. But my dad was that guy who really didn't care what anybody thought. My dad was the guy that didn't worry about tomorrow, even when he had pancreatic cancer all over his body. Now looking back on it, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I have. Is my dad, for me, for me at least, modeled this, what we're talking about today, this insecurity wall. Because I got to see my dad trust Despite cancer, he could worry about that. He could be insecure about that. He could have anxiety about that. I saw my dad trust through 45 years of marriage and seeing ups and downs and moves with my parents and job changes. I saw my dad trust through having twins. One awesome one. One okay. I'm the okay one. You see, trusting God doesn't move him it moves us we, we think sometimes I think that by our trusting God's going to move somehow closer to us move closer to our circumstances move closer to our surroundings God doesn't move he's unchanging he's never failing he's unending you know what happens when we trust God we get closer 
just like the woman trying to reach through the crowds. Despite everything, despite all the obstacles, despite all the people, despite the insecurities, I'm going to push through all of that. I'm going to trust that Jesus can work a miracle in my life. See, when we trust God, we move closer. So what would your life have looked like? Flashback real quick. What would your life have looked like if you had trusted Jesus in all of those times? You know you probably should have. Big question, right? There's a thought ponderer for the rest of the afternoon, right? Wow, Jesus. What would my life have looked like? That's not the important question anymore. The important question is, what can your life look like now if you trust Him? That's the important question. Because when you trust, there is no more insecurity. There is no more anxiety. There is no more worry. These things do not coexist. Trust and worry, trust, anxiety, trust, insecurity, they're not in the same world. Different galaxies apart. Because see, when you trust Jesus with your eternity and you trust Him with your identity, then there is no reason for insecurity. None. When you trust Jesus with your eternity, and I pray and hope you have, and if you haven't, please come up and talk to me afterwards. And when you trust Him with your identity, saying, this is who I am. I, I am someone in Christ. Forget the, what the people say. For, forget what my boss says. Forget what my peers say in school. Forget what they say. Forget what she says. Forget what I look like. Forget, forget all of my insecurities. But when I trust Jesus with my eternity and I trust Him with my identity, there is no reason for insecurity. It disappears. Poof. It just goes away. Next Sunday, we're going to be finishing out this series on the wall of division. And I really hope and pray that each one of us before, between now and then, are going to march around this Jericho-like wall called insecurity this week. Because we all have these problems, right? We're all, if we're honest, insecure in so many areas. But if we do what we talked about in Philippians, if we prayerfully ask God, the version says supplication. What does supplication mean? It means politely begging, really. Pleading with God. If we come with supplication, pleading with God, with thanksgiving, God can knock this wall down in our lives as we begin to trust Him just a bit more and a bit more and a bit more.